0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News.
1: Economists say there's going to be few winners in any U.S.-China trade war, but there's definitely going to be some big losers. The question is, who's going to lose the most? Chinese super-app Meituan Dianping is buying bike-sharing unicorn Mobike as the war over China's shared economy intensifies. Wondering how this positions Meituan to compete against e-commerce giant Alibaba. Those are the questions we'll be tackling on this week's Asian Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world in finance. I'm your host, Asia editor Pete Sweeney, and I'm sitting here in Hong Kong chatting with my fellow columnist Chris Bidor and Robin Mock. I'm going to start with Chris, who just got into town last week, I believe, and right in the midst of an escalating war of words between President Donald Trump and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping, both very tough-minded guys. Uh, Chris, it's it's sounding really mean-spirited out there. First, we had some, some smaller tariffs rolled out by the U.S. side. China came back with uh, threatening duties against airplanes, cars, uh, chemicals, all sorts of items. I mean, there's a really broad swath of product categories that are now targeted hundreds and hundreds of billions of trade at risk.
0: Uh, how did we get here, and how worried should we be, in your view? Yeah, it seems like we've escalated from about zero to 100 in a matter of just a few days this, this past week. Um, I So we got here essentially because Trump decided last year that he wanted to launch an investigation into Chinese firms, the Chinese state, and how they treat American intellectual property, and specifically whether they were stealing American intellectual property in order to benefit the domestic economy. And the U.S. Trade Representative this week Unveils its list of products that it's going to slap about t- slap tariffs on about 50 billion dollars worth of Chinese exports. Um, The Chinese side almost immediately retaliates. Uh, We're talking like within hours with its own list of $50 billion of U.S. exports. And what's happened today is that the Trump administration has now said, well, those retaliatory duties, they are unlawful. They are uh, just totally unjustified. Therefore, we're slapping $100 billion of extra tariffs on you. This is getting completely out of hand. I
1: mean, $150 billion of the trade is almost half of the... the China US deficit but let let me ask you i mean the it would seem obvious that in a trade war if everybody loses the the country with the surplus is going to lose the most i think that's your view but i mean there's certainly going to be some pain distributed on the us
0: side who's going to get hurt the most from this do you think well, I think that you 're right in that all else equal the surplus country China would probably have more to lose in a trade war than well, and they 've got the seventy million
1: people are trying to bring out of poverty they 've got a massive right i mean it 's a developing country fighting a trade war with a with 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 the world 's wealthiest uh, nation so i mean it's it 's a imbalance in that way too yeah
0: no i I completely agree i mean On the surface, and I I should say, too, these tariffs have not yet been implemented. So far, they've been announced on the U.S. side. They have to go through this comment period. Uh, The Chinese side has not said when it's going to implement the tariffs, presumably right after the U.S. does. Uh, So right now, we're at the talking stage. So some of this might be just posturing as they're going to go to the negotiating table. Sure, but
1: markets are selling already. I mean, so people people are clearly
0: expecting... I mean, is is this a buying opportunity that you see? <laughs> no, or, uh... no, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, I say that as a caveat, but. <laughs> The markets are responding because the risk has obviously increased. When you say, I'm going to slap you with $150 billion worth of tariffs, that's something that you weren't saying before, and now you need to price in the fact that even though it's just talk at this point, that it might actually happen in the future. So I'm not saying markets are wrong. What I am saying is that um, they're going to be negotiating, and that's when you get into, the, like, who are the losers? And so I think what we've seen is that China's clearly targeting um, retaliatory tariffs on folks that are pretty close to Trump's constituency. So folks in the upper Midwest and some politically pretty volatile states, especially with things like autos, with things like soybeans and so forth. Um, So they're reasonably targeted toward kind of more politically contentious areas. Um, But as far as like the big losers are concerned, I would almost say that it's American companies operating in China that are most at risk. Um, And the logic there being that in the past, whenever China has a dispute with another country, it is it does not hesitate to go toward these kind of low-level harassment of companies from that country that are operating in the mainland. And there's a million and one ways that they can legally uh, just basically harass you or do little things to throw sand into the gears. Well, so what do they do with like, I mean, so the U.S. is not the first country
1: to get in these, this sort of match with with China, um, and in fact, like there was a big reaction during the uh, the missile hit the Chinese consulate in Belgrade during the that conflict. Right. Um, and since then, we've had you know riots against Japanese. Uh, most recently, we had a conflict with South Korea. What's what what can american executives sitting in their their offices in shanghai and wuhan and so on look forward to right. um, from from the chinese government at this point do you think
0: well it varies it varies substantially so it's not like there's a clear so with the with the tariff aspect there's a really clear template that the chinese have of tit for tat. You hit us with 50, we're going to hit you right back with 50. No higher, but no less either. Now we'll see if they keep going down that road. Um, But it's a little bit less of a template with respect to these kind of informal harassment measures. That said, I think some of the things that we've seen, I mean, the most striking recent example has to be Lotte Group of South Korea. So what happened there was Beijing got into a spat with Seoul about uh, missile deployments on the Korean peninsula. The bad anti-missile system. Exactly. and um, This is a U.S.-based wh- system,
1: listeners. It was supposed to defend South Korea against North Korean attack, and Beijing got very upset about it. Anyway, as, as you were so, you're you're right. saying.
0: So Lotte, which is a South Korean conglomerate, got sucked into that mess um, and ended up having... Um, It it was involved with a missile battery outside Seoul, but they were involved in that mess. And essentially what Beijing did was there was all of a sudden all these spontaneous fire hazards that they found in Lotte stores across China. And, I mean, just uh, the majority of the stores, they they temporarily closed them, they seized some equipment, they did a few other things. Um, and in fall of last year, uh, Lotte essentially said that they gave up and were going to exit, um, their, they were going to try to sell so off their hypermarket. Basically leaving China. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for folks like us that are covering China, uh, folks in the media that are covering China, I think that... We kind of uh, it almost like there there was a lot of attention paid to it, but at the same time, almost nearly enough in the sense that uh, it was already kind of baked into our assumptions that, oh, yeah, Beijing kind of just harasses these companies whenever you get. No, i has been complaining about this sort of thing. It, it, yes, exactly. So in a sense, it wasn't especially surprising. So you cover it. But, you don't. Know, it's not really a huge deal. Um, but I always thought that it wasn't it didn't get enough play. Just the sheer amount of bad faith that came from Beijing official, they insisted throughout the entire thing that, oh, this is all about safety and fire hazards and other, you know, hygiene issues and and so forth, just straight face. And again, it was just such a bad faith argument because they were, they were almost assuming that you knew that that wasn't right. Like they, the point of this was to send the message that we are going to make you hurt if you go forward with this. And then, at the same time, they would they would to the media they would just say oh yeah it 's just a fire hazard issue which is the fact that they 're not
1: really bothering to make it credible is kind of the signal they 're sending right right, right. <laughs> well i mean let me let me just ask so uh, you 've got the the amcham a lot of these companies, you know oracle uh, across the board have been complaining about chinese business practices they 've wanted something to be done what they don 't seem to want is tariffs, but Trump is rolling these out anyways. What is the likelihood that, like, this pressure might actually result in the in the policy change that people want? I mean, like, Trump has said we want a reduction in the deficit, but there's all sorts of ways to do that. But, I mean, what the, what the business community is arguing about and what these tariffs appear to be targeting in part is the made-in-China 2025 policy. Like, all this industrial package is just meant to stimulate domestic industries um, one way or the other, either through cheap credit or by forced tech transfers – to make these companies that are displace American competitors, both within China and abroad. I mean, is this route going to result in any positive movement on that front, I think, is everybody's question. What do you think?
0: Right. So, well, first of all, I think you're right about U.S. businesses. And that's a complaint that you hear in Washington sometimes kind of behind closed doors is that, trade officials will say well you were you were pushing us for years and years we got to do something about china that you are always getting harassed and it wasn't a level playing field and now we're actually doing something and suddenly it's you're getting cold feet on us when we when we actually want to do something so
1: and to be fair i mean just you know some other people have pointed out a lot of these businesses were happy to transfer technology in exchange for market share as well so i mean all these complaints right. about security and stuff i mean westinghouse sold their nuclear reactor technology to china i mean like that was part of the deal. So I mean, companies like Ford, Volkswagen, you know, they're not all American, but a lot of them have have absolutely printed money in the country in exchange for handing over this stuff. So
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So they've, they've kind of wanted to have their cake and eat it too a little bit sometimes. Um, But I mean, that said, you know, will it actually change Chinese industrial policy? It's hard to say I mean, what we do know right now is that both sides have said they're open to negotiation, so even the president uh, this morning, our time when he announced that he was ordering USDR to consider more tariffs, said, uh, you know that that notwithstanding um, we're ready to discuss anything that'll protect American workers and so forth. Um, I mean, if you squint if you squint, you could just about see some sort of updates to, say, Made in China 2025 or an agreement to maybe curb industrial policy in this or that area. Probably more likely, though, is, um, you know, a deal where the Chinese side, probably led by Liu He, says something like, "Okay, we're going to let um, American companies in X, Y, and Z sectors, they're now going to be able to compete on an equal footing. We're going to lift these restrictions. No, I mean, We're there's that's happened tariffs. before. And,
1: and the next complaint is, of course, that the law changes and then the local governments still don't implement it or, or work to pres- – I mean, that the whole Chinese political structure is based around – Coddling domestic firms yeah. because local officials are sometimes invested in them secretly. The whole local economy depends on on Chinese brands and these developments. So they, there's really very weak incentive. I mean just most worrisomely, and you tell me what you think. But like it seems like the negotiation strategy is we're gonna we're gonna you know, China's gonna hit Trump's constituency and make him lose some popularity contest. And then the US is like, well we're gonna we're gonna hurt the Chinese export sector and provoke Layoffs, and that's going to lose the in popularity contest. But I'm worried that neither of these political leaders feel that they they have to worry about those things that are perfectly willing, you know, to have to endure a great deal of suffering um, in order to kind of win this ego contest at this point. I mean, these are both really tough guys. Their mandates are based on being tough guys. How could Trump or C, like,
0: reasonably give ground here without not looking like a tough guy? Right, right. I, I mean, you almost need, uh, as, as one think tanker in D.C. put it to me once. You need, for this to happen, you need a president that almost doesn't care on two levels. One, they don't care what the Chinese think, and so if they're going to retaliate, they're going to retaliate. We, I just don't care. You also don't care what business thinks, either, in the sense that if they come squealing to you, um, you, just, you also say, I, I don't care, I'm going through with these. And so, they might have, uh, you know, we all might have found ourselves inadvertently with this kind of president. Um, so, I mean, I think that for the near term, um, I think what's clearly going to happen is that they're going to come to the negotiating table. And I think that um, there is some scope probably on the U.S. side for them to soften some tariffs in exchange for clear concessions. But then it gets to, as you say, um, just what happens when we get to the implementation stage. And that's always been where business has complained. It just it falls through.
1: Well, hopefully there will be more negotiating than squealing, but I, <laughs> I, I, I confess to being quite concerned myself. Anyways, thanks, Chris. Thank you. Turning to our tech columnist, Robin Mock. Um, Robin, a lot of foreign listeners might not be too familiar with Meituan Dianping um, or the company it's buying, Mobike. Um, but it sounds like quite an interesting mixture. Can you just introduce us first to this company and, and who they are and what they're doing?
2: Sure, Pete. So Meituan Dianping is um, China's largest Local services app. So what that means is that you know you can go on the app and you can do things like book movie tickets, you can book restaurants, you can order takeout, Um, and increasingly now Meituan has been pushing into travel. So it recently acquired uh, Mobike, which is a bike bike sharing platform. So you can go on the app now and presumably just book a bike, Um, and it's also pushing into ride hailing. So it has an Uber like. Um, service as well. So Meituan is quite ambitious. So it's trying to be an all-in-one, one-stop shopping platform for local services, everyday uses.
1: Well, I mean, so the Mobike deal was kind of surprising and not surprising, I guess. I mean, like everybody's been putting a lot of money into bike sharing recently. But what I don't, what what threw me, I think, um, was you know why Meituan specifically in the run up to an IPO is going to go after. A company, you know, in an industry that is famously burning through, through cash. Um, you know, I mean, this is a sector that's been in this huge price war, and Mobike, you know, might be in the leader of it. But I just, do you think that's wise at this point?
2: Well, I mean, like you said, it is. Um, the timing is a bit odd. So Meituan is getting ready for an IPO sometime this year. It's in Hong Kong. Um, yes. So that's that's sort of the uh, what Reuters has been reporting. Um, so the timing of this is quite odd, as you said. Um, and also Meituan, they are number one in food delivery, and it's quite similar to bike sharing and ride hailing, where you know the the margins and economics are are quite questionable. Um, so it's a very low margin business. Um, so and it's also quite costly because in order to win market share, uh, Meituan has to offer you know a lot of price cuts and subsidies. Um, So, you know, if they are pushing into bike sharing now and on top of that, ride hailing as well as food delivery, then that sort of means that, you know, they'll be, um, you know, competing in, you know, very expensive uh, sectors and and they'll have to be winning subsidy battles and and, um, taking on, you know, uh, much deep pocketed companies like Alibaba in these areas.
1: Well, let me go after that. Yeah. So, I mean, I hadn't really thought of this as putting Meituan as... I mean, I've always thought of the Alibaba rival being Tencent or, or you know, JD.com, those things. But you seem to think that Meituan is actually turning into a an aspiring threat here, at least. Yes, how, I, how worried I, yeah. should Alibaba be? Or well, how so, worried should well, Meituan all, be about Alibaba? Well, first of
2: all, Meituan, they do have Tencent as um, one of their major backers. Um, but second of all, I mean, Meituan, you know, they are a very ambitious company, and they have you know, said that they want to be a one-stop uh, platform for local services, which is, if you think about it, it puts them quite um, directly against uh, Alibaba, which is also trying to, um, you know, they, they're also trying to go into food delivery. So they um, bought uh, control, full control of Meituan's closest rival in takeout um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, And Alibaba, they also have their own, you know, movie ticketing um, services. They're backing Ofo, which is Mobike's biggest rival. So increasingly, Meituan looks like they are going up against uh, Alibaba.
1: It sounds like a terrific clash. Thanks, Robin. And uh, so that's going to be our show for this week. I'd like to thank Robin Mack again and Christopher Bedore for joining us. Kudos also to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Ben Kellerman, and Andrew D'Antonio. Final thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes, please. Uh, Please do share your opinions on our show. And join us again next week for another edition.